All right, everybody, welcome back to Seeking Sanctus. I am your host, William, and our co-host, Tim, is here, and we have a special guest today uh, who's been on the podcast before. I'm sure you guys remember, uh, Mr. Andy Blyla. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. Um, also, one real quick, want to offer you congratulations. Uh, if you guys did not know from a previous podcast, Andy was studying theology at Augustine Institute and has since graduated with a master's. Well, it sounds more important than it is, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about Lent, because Lent is coming up, you know, it's almost Ash Wednesday. More specifically, we're going to be talking about the biblical roots of Lent. So I'm just going to start, I think we should just start, like, right at the beginning in the Old Testament. So what in the Old Testament foreshadows Lent? Well, you know, uh, William, that's a great, great question. You know, um, I think when we look at Lent, we need to, to think about what it is. And, and when we think about what it is in light of the Old Testament, we can see that uh, these kind of things have been going on since the beginning. Like you said, um, Lent traditionally 40 days. And um, if anybody that knows a little bit about Jewish history knows that they were big on numbers. Numbers were, I mean, they, they could fix everything in numbers. You know, the world was made in seven days, all these kind of things. So numbers are big and, and 40 is no exception um, in, in two ways. And one, uh, four was an important number to Jewish people because it, it tended to symbolize earth. You know, we've got the four winds, the four corners of the earth, those kind of things. And 10 should be ringing for you because we all think of the 10 commandments immediately, which, which is an important word too. So um, you know, you can look at that combination of those two numbers, 40, and think that this has something to do with the judgment of earth kind of thing when we're looking at this. But more interestingly, 40 was looked at in the, the Old Testament as, as a standard period and, and usually viewed as a time of preparation or testing before a major event. So this should ring true to us Christians because Lent is that preparation period before the, the greatest major event of Christianity, which is uh, Easter. Um, and and we could be podcasting for the next 10 years for me to tell you all the 40-day periods, but, but I'll hit a couple of them for you so you know. Um, uh, the first one I think about uh, is back in Genesis with Noah and the rains that came down for 40 days and 40 nights. And in preparation for that great event of the new creation when, when God recreated the world. Um, the 40 days that Moses fasted on Mount Sinai twice prior to giving the 10 commandments, to the people of Israel. Um, trying to think the, another one is uh, you can think of the 40 years that the tribes of Israel walked around the wilderness, preparing to go into the, the promised land. Uh, so there's just a couple of, of really good examples of where 40 uh, pops up as a, as a big Big theme, at least in in the Old Testament. Um, Jonah, Jonah ran around Nineveh, talking about in forty days the Lord will destroy Nineveh. So forty is a huge, big, big important number inside the Old Testament, and there's there's tons of others, but uh, those pop up right into the top of my head. Um, so we're looking at forty. Christianity just took this forward to make it a really great preparation period for uh, Lent. 
I love the reference, I will say, to Noah. I didn't never I never thought of Noah when we talked about that. I did not relate the forty days of rain uh to the forty days like at all. That never came to my head. Oh, well, it's a good one. You know, one of these days, Google, um, I know you have the Verbo software on your computer too. Just Google 40 days one time. You'd be surprised what pops up. Um, I mean, there's tons of other ones. Uh, you know, the, the, the spies that went to the look at, you know, from the Israelite spies that went to look into the promised land, they were gone 40 days. Uh, the uh, Philistines in the days of uh, David, they were they were they were chasing the Israelites for forty days. Um, I, there's tons of them, but the, you'd be surprised where they all popped. And then, of course, the most famous one we know is the forty days that the risen Jesus spent with uh, his disciples and apostles after he he rose from the dead. Hmm. Tons of them. Yeah, forty's a neat number. Numbers are neat in the Old Testament, for sure. But I'm assuming you want to talk about some of the some of the other things we did on uh, that the Old Testament kind of foreshadows for Lent. Do you mind if I jump forward to the New Testament first and kind of point towards where where that's where they talk about that in the Old Testament? Not at all. Uh, all right. Do you, so, that, I mean, do you you have any questions, yeah, it, Tim? Absolutely, absolutely. We look at uh, when we think of Lent and a preparation thing. A lot of people have trouble figuring out. You know, what, what do they want to do for Lent and uh, I try to encourage people when I talk to them to not get something up, but instead do something, do something for, for Jesus in preparation, like these, this number in the Old Testament pointed out. And, and people struggle with that, but Jesus told us what to do. Uh, and Matthew 6, from Matthew 6, 1 to 18, gives us exactly what we should be doing. Matthew 6, uh, 1 through 4, talks about giving to the needy. Uh, that sounds a lot like almsgiving to me. And then from Matthew 6, 5 through 14, that's where he's gifting the Lord's Prayer to his disciples. So there's prayer. And then the last bit uh, from Matthew 16 to 18 talks about fasting. So these are the three big things we can do during Lent to, to try to uh, prepare for, the, for the, the rising of our Lord. And I can talk more about what we can do specifically for that later. But... Believe it or not, Jesus, very faithful Jew, this is all prefigured in the Old Testament. All prefigured in the Old Testament. Uh, prayer, for instance. I mean, there is prayer listed all over the Old Testament. But, uh, you know, I, three or four of them pop up that, that people don't think about a lot. Um, in Genesis chapter 4, 26, it says, to Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Perfect prefigurement of, of, of prayer in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham did nothing but talk to God. I mean, there's stories of it from Abraham 12 to 22, uh, Genesis 12 to 22, talking to God uh, and having conversations with him on what to do. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 pops into my head. The, the great Shema that uh, Moses gave to the people. The hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Uh, a beautiful prayer in the Old Testament to praise God. Uh, but there's tons of others. Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them. He's talking about the nations. 
and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Um, and as we all know, the Psalms, the oldest prayer book in the world, been prayed for 3,000 years. So prayer has always been a, an important part of our Judeo-Christian uh, uh, tradition. There's, there's a lot of information there that I, that's interesting. The one thing I think that I have never really thought about is uh, the Shema you were talking about. I don't think that's really a point that a lot of people think about. No, you know, it is one of the most, I think, misunderstood prayers. Cause I think, I think we, we, uh, we forget that we're the next evolution per se, of, of Judaism, right? Jesus was a Jew and we moved on and we kind of uh, followed that path, but the, we, we still use the Old Testament. I mean, the Catholic Church teaches about the unity, the, whole, the two Testaments. So Jesus is in every word of there. And Jesus actually quoted this prayer, if you remember, when the, uh, the, the lawyer or the scribe asked him, you know, what was the most important commandment? This was the exact commandment that Jesus quoted was uh, the Shema, the here, the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, so it's, it's, it's beautiful that they turn it into a prayer, and you can use that commandment to transform yourself as you pray it. That is awesome. And I don't want to go on a whole list for you, William, either. You go crazy, because, it, it, I mean, there's just prayer all over the Old Testament. We know that prayer is an important, is an important part. And like I said, I, I'm happy to, to give some some ideas on what we could do for prayer for for Lent at a, uh, at a later moment. But we've got two more in here, right, that Jesus talked about. He talked about fasting. And uh, fasting, oh my gosh, fasting is all over the Old Testament. Um, and when people traditionally think of fasting, what do they think about? Or what Probably. do you think about? I would say the first thing that would come into your head would be, you know, fasting from food, like not eating. Oh, absolutely. That's a perfect one. Um, but believe it or not, the people, and they, they did that. They did that in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Uh, a lot. But they also fasted from clothes, believe it or not. You know, they, uh, people, uh, you see passages in the Old Testament where they talk about putting on sackcloth. Have you seen any of those? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was away from fasting, from the comforts of good clothing. Sackcloth back in those days was, it still is today. If you think of a burlap sack, I mean, imagine putting that on for clothing instead of a, a nice comfortable cotton t-shirt or whatever else we're wearing. Wasn't that also considered uh, penitential sackcloth yes. ashes? Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because penitence is really what we're what we're looking for here. Um, in the fasting part, right? We're giving something up for a greater good uh, or doing something, as I said earlier, to, to be penitential, to prepare us uh, and, and to make up some, maybe some of our shortcomings. Yeah, because like, I was wondering, because like, I don't know if uh, if you guys think the same way I do, but the first thing that popped into my head when I uh, when we were talking about sackcloth and ashes and penance was Nineveh. That's a beautiful one. And we talked about that with prayer too. If you remember when I mentioned Jonah walking yeah. through there through Nineveh. And, yeah, exactly. And that's what they did. You're right. 100% right. 
and what I think you're going to find out here, William, is, is I'm hoping what you'll see is, you know, that we're talking about prayer kind of in a, in a encapsulated thing. And then we're talking about fasting and encapsulated thing. And we're talking about alms and, in a, in an encapsulated little capsule, but we're, what we'll see is that they're all joined together. I can't wait to see how that works. Yeah. Well, and you foreshadowed a little bit by talking about Nineveh, you know, no, uh, Jonah goes in and prays. They, they repent and wear it. So, I mean, you can see, you already see it starting to come together a little bit, but it'll get better. And Jesus put that all together for us. Tim, anything you want to add? No, so far it's just been a learning experience for me. I'm having a great time. <laughs> well, good. Keep, keep questions coming and interrupt me because you know, like uh, when William said that, I'll, I'll run my mouth until we until we run out of things to say. So, um, <laughs> fasting, though, the fasting's all over the Old Testament. I mean, this might be, uh, I found the most information in my search on fasting. I mean, it's all over the Old Testament. Um, going back as far as uh, Leviticus, you can see the fasting in there where they actually talk about a fast. Uh, in Leviticus 16, 29 to 31, they start talking about uh, fasting to prepare ourselves for the Sabbath. Um, it, it's in Isaiah again. It's all over Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 56, or excuse me, 58, 3 through 6. We have fasted, and did you not see it? We have humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it. Uh, so we can see that right there in that just short one verse, what you were talking about, William, how it, it, we can see it as a penitential rite as well, because they're talking about humbling themselves in front of the Lord to make up. Isaiah's right here because it's they're going into the exile, and you know the people are, are upset, and they want to come back, and they're asking, but God, look, we, we fasted. Later on, we'll talk about the sackcloth and the ashes and all that they did to try to come back. Um. Wasn't there also, uh, wasn't it also, I think one of the most popular fasting stories in the Old Testament as well, uh, Elijah, I believe? Yeah, there's tons of them. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, they're all over in Kings. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't remember which, I don't remember the chapter, but um, where Elijah is hiding and God speaks to him in the still small voice. Yeah. Yeah. When he had run from Ahab, um, right before yes. that, in fact, he had, remember he had prophesied to Ahab and Ahab was, uh, I mean, he was talking about the kingdom being torn from him. And in, uh, Kings 21, 27, one Kings 21, Ahab heard the prophecy and ripped his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted and put ashes on his head. And then, like you said, uh, Elijah running from Jezebel and Ahab was fasting in the cave. And that's when uh, he asked to see, see his face. And he saw him in the whisper. Good reference. I love that one. Um, Daniel is another one. If you remember when Daniel, he was, he was in exile in uh, Babylon. He was one of the first waves of exiles. And uh, with, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, which is just a great name, uh, not a great man, but a great name. Uh, and, and he was working for Nebuchadnezzar and, um, Daniel was known to fast there. He was living in exile, trying to still be Jewish, 
uh, with no temple, no place to offer sacrifice, those kind of things. And in Daniel 9, he talks about turning his face to the, to the Lord and seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So you can see in there, in exiles, he's pleading to come back. They're already connecting prayer, fasting, and then the, the penitential sackcloth and ashes. Um, tons in Daniel. Daniel fasted a lot. Uh, but anyways, you can see here, I mean, I, I found, looks like 21 uh, references on one page just to the word fast. And then uh, I found another, there's, there, there might be a hundred references here to the Old Testament about fasting uh, and, and, and what it was. So the Jewish people at that time were known for fasting as a preparation and, and as a penitential rite um, in, uh, in, in pleas for mercy. So a very, very prominent thing. And, uh, and in fact, later on, they, they set up three fasts on their official schedule to fast for uh, the exile, the destruction of the temple, and, and the return, just to commemorate. So fasting was very prominent in, in ancient Judaism. So when Jesus was talking about fasting, this was nothing new. And if you remember, the Pharisees actually came up and asked, or excuse me, John the Baptist's disciples came up and asked why Jesus' disciples don't fast. And that's the famous, you know, when the bridegroom's with them, nobody fasts. Bill fast when he leaves. So very prominent, very well known. This is this wasn't revolutionary. And then the last leg that, that we were going to talk about was almsgiving, uh, which is that, that it, it makes sense. Uh, it, it didn't really come out word for word in Genesis uh, and in Exodus, but it was alluded to. Right, the the commandments that God was giving was telling. Uh, the people that they had to take care of the widow and the orphan. Uh, they were not to, you know, extract uh, interest from people that they were loaning money to. So the, the, the groundwork was laid there in Genesis for that. But uh, the book of Tobit, which is in our Bible, a great book, uh, talks about it explicitly. I mean, Tobit came, if you look in uh, Tobit 4, 6 through 11, it says, uh, for those who want to practice what is true will prosper in their deeds. Do deeds of mercy from your possessions to all who practice righteousness. And do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. So here we're already seeing this early give out of your excess and do it with a smile. Don't begrudge the person you give it to. Um, Sirach talks about it. Uh, in Sirach 3... Trying to see here, three, oh no, excuse me, Sirach four, uh, one, son, do not deprive the poor of his living and do not keep the needy eyes waiting. Um, it, it, it's all over the Old Testament. Um, so a very, very prominent theme is to, to give this money, uh, to give some of your money to the needy. And, and it's a way to do, uh, uh, to make up for some of your unholiness, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, also, uh, almsgiving doesn't have to be money, right? It no. It can also be like giving your time or things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that wasn't really as explicit in the Old Testament uh, because they were living in a different kind of society, but it definitely uh, applies to us now. Um, 
And if we look at these, I mean, we can go on for days with these Old Testament prefigurements, but I think it's fair to say we can all see, the three of us at least can see here, that prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is very prominent in the Old Testament. This isn't, this isn't something that Jesus made up or was new. Would you agree with me there? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, but as we uh, transition to the New Testament there, we, we, we already saw the passages that I read, right? Uh, so... What did Jesus bring these up for? And what he did is um, he wanted to counter our, our, our inborn instincts, uh, which are, are kind of listed in one, the letter, first letter of John, chapter 2, 16. And it says, uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. So those are the three kind of main sins uh, that the, the apostles think kind of sum up everything, if that makes sense. Indeed. And not yeah. to jump ahead or anything, but Jesus, the temptation in the desert of Jesus for, as we were talking about earlier, 40 days was also to demonstrate how to counteract these. Amen. Isn't it neat how all these things kind of tie together? Yes. <laughs> And since you brought that up, if we look at those three temptations that you just said Jesus, you know, did tied with our 40 days and tied with that, they also tied back to the same three temptations that our forefathers, Adam and Eve, faced in the early. If you look in Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's lust of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes. There's lust of the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise. Well, there's pride of life right there. Uh, it's also the same three sins that the Israelites faced as they were wandering around for 40 years. And then Jesus recapitulates both of those in the example that you brought up, where he faced those same three things in the desert during his tempting. And what always astonishes me is about that particular story is the volume of things that uh, Jesus was tempted with. Because for us, or even for Adam and Eve, uh, those three, it was all in, uh, not to get into a bear right here, but we'll say a fig because, you know, uh, I'm my mother's son and she, we, she likes to really talk about the fig tree in the, in the Garden <laughs> of Eden. So we'll say a fig. Uh, but like... It was important, yes, but it didn't seem to be that important, especially to them. But when Jesus was facing in the desert, he was tempted uh, to use his godly powers. He was tempted to uh, tempt God's power to save him. He was tempted with all the kingdoms of the world. Like Those are really, really large things to be tempted with. Oh, absolutely. But I, you know, what I think the beautiful point of it is and, and what we see in our Lord is the fact that you know, he was tempted, albeit differently, in a different manner, with the exact same thing that every human being is tempted with. That, that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes, and that pride of life. And, you know, like you said, you know, he was, his pride of life, he was tempted with his godly powers. Use your godly powers. But he showed us that, you know, godliness is not something to be grasped at. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing that we can see 
our Lord facing the exact same three temptations, regardless of their size, which tells me two things. One, we can face anything from the apple to what Jesus faced and anything in between. But our Lord did it and he took the worst and, and he gave us that example. I think, I think it's fantastic and beautiful. Exactly. And, I might uh, be off. If, the, if you guys are wondering which one, uh, uh, the, the, the story that William was talking about, it's in Luke chapter four, uh, verses one through nine talk about the three temptations. The, the first temptation was, uh, if you're the son of God, command the stone to become bread, lust of the flesh. Uh, and then the devil showed him the kingdom and said they could all be his. There's, there's lust of the eyes. And then the last one is in verse nine, where he said, throw himself off the temple and the angels will save you to, to tempt God. So there's the pride of life. Uh, same, same three in principle though, that, that are Israelite forefathers faced and Adam and Eve faced and each one of us face. And I love how the, like, like you said, I love the connection to to original sin there with uh, that. I've always loved that connection because it's showing our Lord God connecting back to like the first of the human race. And actually correcting the problem. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, he actually, he, I don't want to go off off on a tangent here because I could, uh, as you you know. But every event in Jesus' life is a is a threefold mystery. You know, he he recapitulates something. He it shows us something about his nature, and it shows us how he saves us. And and like you said, I mean, his those three temptations. He's recapitulating the original sin of Adam and Eve and destroying it uh, in a good way. You know, reversing it. So he's recapitulating and turning that completely around. And we can see right there how he's going to save us by turning that back around and turning us into a new person. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. Yes. And dying for us is part of the covenant as well. Uh, Amen. Afterwards. Amen. But, like, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's great. What else? Uh, since we made the connection, we might as well keep going with it then. Um, our Lord, though, being the great Lord that he is, the smart Lord, the ever-powerful and all Lord, knew that we couldn't figure this out on our own, so he gave us the plan, and we talked about that in Matthew 6. But, but how does that work? Well, if we look at alms, prayer, and fasting, uh, and we saw how they were prefigured in the Old Testament, if we look at the alms, what, how does that combat you know, uh, uh, this lust that we're, that we're going to face. Um, well, I, I give up, I share my possessions with others. That's what almsgiving is, you know? So instead of letting it drag me down, I give it away. Uh, that one and, would be counter of lust of the flesh, right? Absolutely. And then how am I going to get rid of lust? Of, it, it, it can be kind of both. I would say, um, I would say the almsgiving would be lust of the eyes because, you, you know, I really love my iPhone. I'm going to play with it all the time. I'm going to go buy 50 things. Oh, wait, I don't need all these things. Let me give some of them away. Let me give some point. away. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to combat my, my, uh, my lust of the eyes. Fasting is going to get lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh because, you know, I've got all this food and I can, I can eat, get fat, or I can give some other way. I can share, share the, the things uh, uh, I enjoy. And share those. And prayer is the is going to fight your pride because it's the ultimate 
offering of humility. I mean, a prayer to God where you're saying, I need your help. I need that. That's, that's humility in its finest form. I can't do this on my own. So Jesus in a short, in those short 18 verses gave us the antidote for the three lusts. It's a formula for holiness. Which I think is also amazing because like all of these stories where you see those things appear throughout the Old Testament, like, you know, all the stories we were talking about. And then in barely three paragraphs, Jesus takes that entire problem and he gives us a solution. Yeah. You know, it's like, and we've talked about this on, on other times we've been on here. You know, it sounds so simple. Why do we keep messing this up? I don't think any of us have the answer. I mean, it, it, it sounds simple when we look to it, but I think when we put it into operation, that's where it gets a little more difficult, doesn't it? Yes, it, it definitely. I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> so how does all this apply to, uh, how would I apply all this to us today? Um, well, you know, I think, I think we don't need to deviate from what Jesus gave us. I think, you know, if, if we want to, uh, we can start in the Old Testament back at Genesis 1. Uh, well, let's go to Genesis 2 where the people came into being because that's when things started to go, go bad. And up to the New Testament. And it seems to be this cycle of uh, rinse, wash, and repeat. You know, people misbehave. Uh, God judges them justly as they should be. They repent and it returns, and then they do it all over again. It's just, it's just a cycle over and over again uh, of this happening. And we see these speckles as God is teaching us slowly with the Ten Commandments and all these other things, the prophets, you know, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And we see, we see parts of it joined together. But Jesus distinctly in this chapter in Matthew 6, which is part of that whole Sermon on the Mount, that he was talking about gives us this antidote altogether. So obviously these three things are linked and they're linked because they attack those threefold concupiscence or inclinations, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and pride of life. Those are linked together. So Jesus links these three things together as the antidote. So can I pray my way out of uh, coveting um, whatever my neighbor's Ferrari or can I pray my way out of not eating too much? Eh, it's going to help a lot, but it's not all of it. You see what I'm saying? You, you got to have these three legs in here together, working together to really make that transformation. Kind of like three leg, a three-legged stool. You miss one, the stool's going to fall over. It's going to fall over. Yeah, I guarantee you, if you fast and you don't pray, you might lose a little weight, but it's not going to last. Um, we can see that all over the thing. Crash diets, people lose a bunch of weight and they gain it all back. Um, you know, same thing goes for arms. You know, if I see a, a poor guy on the street and I give him, you know, what I've got in my wallet and I never do it again and I don't pray and all then, you know, it's a senseless act. Joining these three things together uh, are what's important. So how can we use everything that we just talked about? How can we relate this into choosing what we do for Lent, like Lenten disciplines? Oh, man, thank you. You took me right where I wanted to go. The first thing I would do is, is look at this 40 day period and, and try to get back into the spirit of what it is been revealed across time to us. 
right? And um, I'll go back to that definition. It's a standard period sometimes viewed as a time of preparation before a major event. There's not a major event greater than the resurrection of our Lord. So, I mean, this is it. We're, we're using this as a 40-day preparation for a major event. And if we look at how the early Israelites and then Christians throughout history have done this, you know, before a major event, I mean, think about it. Before we go to Mass, um, I mean, I don't go work out, get, eat a, a big meal and get all nasty and dirty and then show up to the show up to Mass. Well, I, I clean myself up. I put on my best clothes. I prepare myself before I go. And, and this is what we can use the Lenten period for. And how do I suggest we do that? Using these three things that Jesus taught us, this prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, or almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, if you want the order that's in, in the book. And you can compound these things together. Uh, I'm, I'm working out a program that I'm hoping to publish next year, and I'm happy to share it with you when we do. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a program of asceticism based on Jesus' plans. And here we go. I, uh, I start with prayer first because prayer is the single most important thing. Um, our relationship with God is the most important. We're not going to successfully complete the other two without God's help. So we need to prayerfully ask him what to do. And I know traditionally people give up something like sweets or they give up pizza or, or something. What I'm recommending is if you pray for it, you pray about it, you talk to the Lord about it. Um, you can either do a more traditional fast, like like uh, a lot of people do. The the fasting requirements for the Catholic Church on fasting days uh, is one full meal and then two others that don't make up a whole meal. You could do that. That's a beautiful way to fast. Uh, My family I know does that. Yeah. They, do you guys do it the whole, all 40 days? Uh, not really all 40 days because there are some days where we're like, we're not able to do it, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with some of us having things where we have to keep, you know, energy levels up or something like that, medical wise. Yeah. But especially yeah. myself, I'm talking about myself there. I, <laughs> but uh, but uh, we do it if, at the very least. We'll do it on like Fridays. We'll try to do it, you know, a couple other days during the week. Yeah, absolutely. So you could take that you and what you're doing, and what if you took that money that you would spend on the food? And you put it into a pot, and then once a week took that money to the food bank or to a homeless shelter and handed the money over to them. Now I've just linked almsgiving and the fasting together. By giving up the food, the money I'd save, then I'm going to give that to somebody who needs it. Uh, that's a beautiful way to connect those two things. And as you're praying about it, you'll see that you're, you know, you're thanking the Lord for the gifts you have. You're thanking him for the excess that you can now give to other people. Now I've linked all three of those things together, which has turned it into a holy event. Because I mean, you know what I'm saying? I prayed about it to the Lord, asked him to help me fast. I fast the money I save. I thank the Lord for, and then I give to, to other people. And now I've just made that a thanks offering pleasing to the Lord. And he's been involved in every step of the process. That is awesome. I really like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to do it, but it doesn't have to be the only one. I mean, what if I like to go out to eat? What if I say I'm not going to go out to eat all during what? And all those meals, I save that money. Or I look at my phone too much, or I'm on the computer too much. Uh, sometimes it's a little harder to link the money uh, to it, but uh, I know a lot of people shop online. What if you just only shop for what you need instead of luxury items? 
there's tons of ways you can fast from things uh, that that ail you. I mean, and, and dig deep. This is where praying is so important. If you pray and you ask the Lord, you know, what am I attached to inordinately in, a, in an unhealthy manner? You'd be surprised what you'll find. Yeah, but yeah, I've completely, I, I have no words for that. I, I'm just like really stuck on the fact. I really like how that sounds. That is awesome. What's well, a beautiful, and, and you know what's more beautiful about it is it's transformative. It's transformative because if you're doing this for 40 days, um, let, let's just pick my, uh, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm on my iPhone too much or I'm on the internet too much or I play too much video games. That's usually a good one. If I play too many video games, you know, if I'm giving up the video game, because I prayerfully thought about it. I've talked to the Lord about it. I'm on my PlayStation too much. I'm not going to play my PlayStation during Lent. You're going to develop this habit of realizing that's a luxury and you're not going to abuse it when you go to start using it again because you've built this habit to realize that, hey, this is something I had an attachment to that I, I, I don't need an attachment to. It's not that playing the PlayStation is bad, but you're putting it in the correct order. And uh, I, I know a lot of these games have buy, you know, where you, you buy the game and then you have to buy something later on. I mean, you can save that money and use it as, as your almsgiving and connect these three things together. And that's where you really make a transformative difference, both in yourself and in the world. Indeed. And I love the, I love the habit reference you made too. It takes 30 days to build a habit. So during Lent, if you, for example, did what you said, you get 30 days plus an extra 10. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is you're not, you're not, it, it, the, the last piece I'll tell you is, is that you need to put in here is, is this isn't something we're giving up. This is something we're giving to. I'm giving something to God. I'm giving him my time. I'm giving him my, uh, my struggle, my uh, preparation. I'm making, I'm doing something positive instead of giving something up. Uh, I mean, there's something, there's something to say about wearing uh, and about giving up cookies for what, definitely. But when you tie it to prayer and almsgiving, you see it as something positive that you're doing instead of something negative that I can't do, if that makes sense. Complete sense. Yes. I mean, it still stinks. Don't get me wrong. I, I love playing my PlayStation, <laughs> but you know, to, to, to use that as a sacrifice and say, God, I, I love playing this video game. And instead I'm going to give this time to you instead of wasting it. And for all your listeners out there, I'm not trying to demonize the PlayStation, play the PlayStation, but you know, this, this helps turn it into an ordinate enjoyment, which is really our goal in life, isn't it? It's to enjoy the gifts God's given us in an ordered manner, in an ordered way, so that it doesn't consume us and we don't become attached. And that's our preparation in Lent, is a beautiful way to do that and dedicate that time to the Lord. And it becomes an enjoyment instead of an obsession. Oh, exactly. And, and just opens the door. The, the other beautiful thing I say about this is when I was a kid, I mean, I was 10, I think we gave up desserts every year. Every year we gave up desserts. And, you know, it was a good thing when I was a kid. But, you know, looking back on it, had I turned this into something different and said, hey, you know, by not eating the Snickers bar every day, we're going to take that, whatever it was when I was a child, cheaper, 50 cents, and we're going to put it in a pot. And then every week, I mean, it's it's... That's three dollars and fifty cents times the four kids in my house that were given to the food bank. And now we've just combined those things together, and I think that's the key: is making that connection between prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, and making it a unified event that you can 
offer to the Lord during that preparation period. And it follows this pattern that we saw in the Old Testament. We don't have to wear sackcloth and ashes, but we can give up a little something that enables us to do something good for somebody else and yet combine it with prayer. The last thing I wanted to say about that, though, William, was is you brought up, does almsgiving have to be money? It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't have to be money. If we're looking at my PlayStation example, if I'm playing a PlayStation for an hour and now I'm not, that opens me an hour to do something else. I could go to the food bank. I could volunteer at a soup kitchen. I could help at my church. I could just tutor kids for free or whatever it is that you're going to give of your gift back. And that's a beautiful way to almsgive. You're taking the time you enjoyed playing PlayStation or whatever it is you enjoyed that you're not going to do, and you're giving that time away to somebody who needs it. It's a beautiful way to do almsgiving and pray about it. Pray about it and put it all together, and it turns it into this beautiful, beautiful gift that links those three things together. Amen. I have time for another suggestion if you'd like to hear it. Absolutely. There's a there's a beautiful prayer um, that the church prays every morning that, that you can use that will um, turn every one of these events from doing your chores to your homework to whatever it is into a prayer. It's the morning offering. The church usually prays it. Uh, you can Google it, but I'll tell you what it is. It says, Oh, Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, offer you all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. For all the intentions of your sacred heart, in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my friends and relatives, and for the general intention recommended this month by the Holy Father. Amen. So when you pray this prayer first thing in the morning when you get up, and then I give up an hour on my PlayStation, and I do that to do some service, however it is in my neighborhood or whatever I do it, Every one of those actions is now a prayer activity because I've offered to Jesus all my sufferings, joys, works. I've just turned that into a prayer offering. And, and look, boom, you just connected all three of them. That is amazing. It's transformative. It's wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you for all of that, by the way. I, I had an awesome time today. I always have an awesome time whenever you come on because I learned so many things that I had no idea about. Well, thank you, man. I kind of feel like I monopolized the conversation. I do apologize for that. No, I was having a great time. Tim, is there anything you wanted to ask or maybe add? That was that was an amazing conversation. Um, I do want to offer up my experiences. Um, one of the ways I give my time during Lent Um and with fasting, um, one of the things I do typically in just like a habit I have in my day-to-day life is on Fridays, um, my friends and I, after school is out, you know, we'd get together and just be friends. You know, it's the weekend. We have all our time. But during Lent, instead of that, um, go to Stations of the Cross. Um, I would go and I'd serve that and I'd be there. Um, and it's just, it's an it's a remarkable experience whenever you take something that you do in your everyday life and you turn it to Jesus, like going to stations of the cross and you sit there and you ponder, he was man. He died on the cross for our sins. He was tempted like we were. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And I think that when we take that time out of our lives to just sit there 
and realize that we bring ourselves closer to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you know what? I think, I think, Tim, I think you brought up a beautiful point, which is prayer can be a form of almsgiving. You know, when we pray for other people and all that, yet another way to join that up. That's, that's awesome. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I kind of forgot it. And I love the example you used too, Tim. Going, I know that I, uh, we haven't been in person for a while because uh, pandemic and all. But uh, one of my favorite things that we used to do was Stations of the Cross, and my brother and I would serve that every week, which was great. You know, except for the fact your arms might get tired. But um, the, I think Tim is right. It's a really good place to sit and ponder the miracle and mystery of Jesus yeah yeah and you know and then you know you can take this i mean i know i know it's a preparatory period and we're doing extra extra stuff but you'd be surprised you know you might get moved to carry this on and even further you know maybe once a quarter you give up your friday and you go do a stations of the cross when it's not Lent. i don't know but you know the fact that you're thinking about it and you're doing that it's already showing that it's a transformation process that's bringing us closer to the lord and making us think of other ways we can do this which is which is the whole point isn't it it's to prepare and make a change in our life so that we become more christ-like you know and we work towards that unity with it and speaking of being more christ-like um, I feel like one of the big things we also practice during Lent and as we talk about habits is virtues, holy habits that imitate God. And here in Lent, I feel like we find two of some of the, I think, the hardest virtues to practice, which is patience, you know, the waiting of 40 days and humility, realizing that we are sinners. We have failed, but here we have a chance to, to turn back, to repent and at the end of it, we see Jesus rise from the dead, and we are saved. Yeah, there's so much you can do at Lent. I mean, we're going to have to do this again next year, and maybe we'll just do virtues next year, because this is what we did last year. I think we did, uh, uh, we talked about it, and, and then this year, now we're talking about uh, alms, prayer, and fasting. This is great. This is great. We're seeing all these beautiful ways to, to prepare for the coming of our Lord to make us uh, to make us ready for it. And, uh, yeah, they're all great. They're all great. And I think, you know, when you do these, uh, whatever we're doing to try to prepare, we're, we're, we're practicing those virtues. And I think Tim, you're right. I think when we can tie this to a virtue, um, that's the more important thing. That's that positive aspect I was looking for in that, you know, I'm not giving up a cookie. I'm practicing temperance. I'm not, I'm not praying because I have to, because I have to do this. I'm, I'm praying to be humble. I'm practicing the, 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 the virtue of humility. And, uh, and that's, if we can tie it to that virtue, you look at it as a positive thing and you're growing in those virtues instead of giving up the cookie because it's Lent and we have to give something up. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to, probably going to have to end this here in a minute because like i said i know you have to leave we have to leave and i want the recording to save but before <laughs> we do i heard that you're starting up a business i am i am i'm making some uh, leather bible covers and rosary pouches evangelized with good art that is amazing um do you have any you have like a website or something up not yet but i'm telling you i will get it to you as soon as so you can give me a plug 
uh, on your show. I appreciate it. I definitely will. Absolutely. I'll be praying for you guys during this uh, Lenten period. So uh, please pray for me and I'll keep you guys in my thoughts and prayers as well. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. I had a great time. As did I. I always love talking to you, my friend. And I love meeting you, Tim, and talking with you as well. Yeah, it was great meeting you. This has been a, a wonderful experience. You said a lot I haven't really thought about, so you've given me a lot to think about. Amen. Thank you. Would you like to close us in prayer, Andy? Yeah. You know, why don't we do, since we're getting ready to start this uh, preparatory period, uh, I love this prayer. It's a, it's an oldie, but I'm sure you guys know by heart. Do you guys know the Come Holy Spirit prayer? We should do that one. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for this time together. Uh, we ask that you stay with us always, be with us always, and, and give us a productive Lent where we grow in virtue and closer to you. And as we prepare to enter this period, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit upon us uh, by praying, Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you again for coming on. Like I said, thank you. An amazing time. Lots of new information to think about. Uh, thank you, my brothers. You guys have a great, great Lent, and uh, I look forward to talking with you guys again soon. All right. You too. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Right. I will, uh, for you people listening, I will, whenever I get a link, I will put a link to Andy's Bible covers in the description, in the show notes. I will try to put the Bible verses in the show notes as well while I'm editing. We'll see if I can get them all. Uh, and I hope to see you guys here next time here on Seeking Soctus.